as we're jumping into Philippians 3, again, just a reminder to everyone, if anyone has any questions about this text or just any questions in general, send those to Abby in the chat, and uh, we'll have that Q&A session at the end that we can walk through those. But guys, I'm pumped to continue our sermon series with a little delay in the middle of Philippians, but just to dive back in the Word with you guys and yeah, just sit under the teaching of God's Word. I, I know that this passage has been incredibly convicting, incredibly encouraging for me. And, and what's happening in Philippians 3 is that Paul is basically acting like an older brother in this. Like he's, he's grabbing our faces and basically trying to be like, listen to me here. I, I want you to keep your focus on the true gospel message. And so he's trying to lock us back in on what that is. Because there's people coming into the church that are essentially trying to steer them away from that. And so he wants us to keep our eyes fixed on Christ. And so the big idea, and it's a very simple one for us to walk away with today, is that our greatest gain is to know Christ. Like in all of life, our greatest gain is to know Christ. And so we want to orient our life around that goal. And we're going to go through three different points. Um, the first one being look out. The second one being look up and then look forward. So let's jump into the first point. Look out where verse two says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So Paul's coming off pretty strong here. It seems like he's like coming in firing about these guys that he's calling dogs. And you kind of have to stop and ask why. Like, why is his emotion kind of flaring up in this moment where there's these people in the church that were called Pharisees or practicing the way of the Pharisees that pursued everything in life to follow the rule of the law perfectly. Like, that was their highest aim. Like, I can be righteous on my own if I follow all the rules. If I check them off, I can be righteous. And so these people are coming to the church telling people, hey, you need to follow these laws strictly if you want to be righteous. Saying things like, hey, you guys have to be circumcised if you want to follow the law. So you can imagine there's a little bit of concern in the church here at Philippi. And so what they're basically saying is that to be saved is to follow all the rules perfectly. That's what they're coming in with. That's the message that they're telling these people and so Paul is saying, this is a warning. Look out for these people. Look out for these people coming in with a different gospel message. And Paul actually calls them dogs, which is a, a funny play on words. Because Paul used to follow the way of the Pharisees and used to be a religiously elite person. And they would actually call Gentiles or non-Jewish people, people that they saw completely different from them and not anything not like them in any way. They used to call them dogs. And so Paul is basically turning that word back on them and saying, no, they're the dogs. They're the people that aren't like us because we find all of our confidence completely in Christ. And so where these people in the church are saying to be saved, it's to follow all the rules perfectly. Paul would say to be saved is to put your faith completely in Christ. That is where we are to find all of our confidence. We don't look at our own accolades. We don't look at our own works to find 
any way of measuring up before Christ. We completely look to him and put all of our faith and trust in him. And so that's why he's starting this off so strongly by saying, look out and be watchful for anyone who's communicating a different gospel message. And so as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about, I mean, the time that we're all in as COVID-19 has just changed our world dramatically. And they're giving out these guidelines and stipulations for us to follow. Things like, hey, it would be good for you to be watchful in the way you live by wearing a mask, by putting on some gloves, by staying six feet apart from people and only doing necessary travel. It would be helpful for you to do those things. Why? Because it could be harmful to you and it could be harmful to other people trying to stop the spread of the virus. So with those things that they're telling us to, to look for and to be watchful for, a foolish response would be, I'm just going to act like nothing's happening in this world. I'm just going to go about my day, live in the same rhythms. I'm not going to wear the mask. I'm not going to stay six feet apart. I'm going to continue to hang out with people. Like that would be the foolish response because you're not watching and being careful in a time that you need to be. And I, I feel like Paul's concern in this text is that at times we can go about and not be watchful with the messages and the information that we're taking in. Especially now where all of our information that we're taking in is online speakers. We can just listen to what they say and expect it to be truth. Where Paul is saying, no, I want you to look out. I want you to be watchful. I want you to have a lens on analyzing what they're saying and making sure that it's true. And this can be hard for us, but guys, it's, it's so important because if someone is saying anything along the lines of, you need to do this as well as believe in Jesus to be saved, run, run from that teaching. Because that is the false gospel that we don't want to fall into. And a couple things that I just want to encourage you with, um, how, how can we begin to look out in these situations? Some simple things that you, guys, as you're listening to these messages, like as you hear me speaking, pull out your Bible and, and look at what the truths of Scripture are saying and make sure that it is falling in line with what Scripture is saying. And a, a second thing that I, I feel like, especially when you're new to following Christ, that you can fall into is just assuming the pastor's right. Like, I'm just going to assume they've been spending a lot of time studying. They know this text more. So I'm just going to assume what they're saying from this text is right. And, and what I would say is, if you're at that spot where you're like, man, I'm reading this text. I'm not sure about it. Ask other people. Pull in other friends. Use it as a, a community-based study of the scriptures to see, man, is what they're saying truthful? Because otherwise, we can get caught up in believing some of these other ways of following Christ. We can get caught up in a works-based gospel that we didn't even realize because we weren't anchored in the text. And so the first part of this message is, guys, just be thoughtful and look out for where you're getting your information and where what messages you are receiving. And so as we look out, he, he's also going to tell us to look up. And so that's our, our second point for this talk, where he just says in verse four, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. 
If anyone else thinks he has confidence, a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And so Paul is basically calling these guys out in the church, these dogs that he's talking about. He's essentially saying, okay, these guys that are trying to persuade you with their good works or their righteous acts, I've got more. And so he's essentially saying, okay, you want to play that game of listing up your resume, let's play. And so because Paul's pursuit his whole life was pursuing after religious excellence, and he accomplished it. Like he was at the top of the game, and he oriented his whole life around this. And so he lists off a ton of different things that describe that. And I kind of just want to give a glimpse at each of those things, the first one being circumcised on the eighth day. And so what this shows is that from the beginning of his life, he's been a part of a family who has meticulously followed the law of God. Ever since he was born, he has always been a part of a group of people that has followed the law. So he's of the people of Israel. He's of the chosen people of God, the people that God looked at in Genesis through the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and said, I'm choosing you to fulfill a promise to the world. He's like, I am of that group of people, of the tribe of Benjamin. So the tribe of Benjamin is where the first king of Israel came from, Saul, who was king before David, which actually Paul in this story, his original name was Saul. So he was likely named after that king in this tribe of Benjamin was a one that stood out as a prestigious tribe because 10 others revolted against God and, and was rebellious against God where the tribe of Benjamin stayed obedient to God's law. So he's like, I'm of the prestigious tribe of Israel. He's Hebrew of Hebrews. His dad was Hebrew. His mom was Hebrew. He's as Hebrew as a gift. So there aren't any other there isn't any Gentile blood in him. He's basically saying, I am full-on Hebrew. As to the law of Pharisee. So here he's saying, I knew the law of God like the back of my hand. I had it memorized. I had it down. I could recite it at any time. And these Pharisees were looked at like set apart completely from the rest of the world. He's like, I am of the people who knew the law better than anyone else in the world. A persecutor of the church. He was someone who zealously fought for whatever was against the law in his mind. And so when Christianity began to rise, they saw that as a threat to the law. And so he began to kill Christians. Like if you flip open your Bible to Acts 9, you will see a story where Paul, who was Saul at the time, is leading the charge of killing this Christian named Stephen. At the end of the story, they're throwing his coats and throwing his clothes at the feet of Saul. And so he led the charge with killing Christians in that time. And then he ends it, kind of like the top, the pinnacle moment of this list was saying, as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. And so from an external standpoint, Paul actually believed that he was blameless in every way of living out the law. And so this is the big list that he gives to, to compare to these other guys. And he's basically saying, this is my resume. 
my goal in life was to achieve religious excellence. And here's all the steps that I needed to take to get to it. And I nailed it on every single one of those. I checked all those off the list and I actually made it to the top of that goal. I had such incredible gain from my pursuit of Christ. And so it's surprising that he follows that with whatever gain I had. So that complete resume that he has, whatever gain I had, I now count it as loss. And he goes a step further by calling it rubbish, which we probably don't use too often in our day nowadays, but essentially saying that his, his works, his efforts were all a bunch of crap. And if I were to accurately translate this, uh, basically Paul is swearing in this moment. Um, so I should be getting bleeped out, right? Basically as I'm speaking, but we haven't figured out that Paul's yet. But why, why is Paul swearing in this moment when he talks about his efforts, when he talks about his works? Why is he being so passionate about this? It's because Paul came to a moment where he realized that all of his greatest efforts to earn his own righteousness was the very thing that kept him from becoming righteous. Like his, his life was consumed by building up this resume for himself. Like, look at me, look at all the things I've accomplished and making a perfect resume for himself. But actually it kept him from seeing that he needed to throw all that aside and take on the perfect resume that Christ had provided for him. And so therefore, he realized in that moment that what he once thought was gaining him so much, he discovered it was taking him away from what he truly wanted. That was actually just a pile of crap. And, and so as I was thinking about like this, this season that we're in, I, I know that you guys all know I love me some board games, although I had to learn to love those. And we're probably all uh, taking a deep dive in our board games. And I'm not going to lie, one that I uh, do not like at all is Monopoly. And I know that's a fan favorite, so I'm sorry if that offends anyone. Please stay on. Uh, but Monopoly, imagine you are someone who spends your whole life collecting and gathering Monopoly money. And that is what you like, orient your life around, is anytime you see a Monopoly board game, you whip that open, you snatch the Monopoly cash, and you're just building up this stockpile of Monopoly money, which wouldn't be a very, very nice thing to do to people's board games. But, so you have this huge stash of Monopoly money, greater than anyone else, and then you're like, after you build up this stash of Monopoly money, you're like, I'm going to buy something great with it. So you maybe want to buy a house, you maybe want to buy a car, and you go in and you bring this pile of Monopoly money, and you come to find out to your surprise, oh, they don't accept my Monopoly money, which is a big shock. But why would they not accept your Monopoly money? Because there's no value to that money. Like we all know there's no actual buying power to monopoly money. It would be foolish for us to try to buy something with it. And so what Paul is saying in this text is that when he looked at his religious efforts 
they are essentially monopoly money before God. There's no value to them. There's no buying power before God. And yet when we look at our own lives, we can go around looking at our works and waving around our monopoly money as if it makes a name for ourselves. As if our dedication to Bible reading, as if our good morality would be some sort of, some sort of value before God. But maybe that's, maybe that's not your story, you know, before God. Maybe religious excellence or being a part of a church growing up wasn't your pursuit your whole life, like Paul's. Maybe it was more, you just wanted to be successful in everything you did. And so when in high school, when you were in class, you studied hard and you worked extremely hard in order to get the best grades. If you were on the sports team, you worked harder than anyone else. And you tried to lead the pack and set the pace when it comes to working hard in that scenario. Or you might have had the opposite struggle as me when it came to filling out a resume where I had to um, really dig and think of things to fill up that page. You might have had to cut out some volunteer work, maybe cut out a couple jobs, cut out some awards in order to fit it on one page. Or some of you came into school as a sophomore, which I don't get that. Um, I mean, I get it, but I don't get it. Uh, I waited for all my college classes to be when I was in college. And when I have conversations with some of you freshmen, um, you guys just did do life a lot better than I did my freshman year. Um, you guys know, like, hey, these are the classes I need to take. These are the internships I need to take this summer, these summers. These are the networks, networking I need to do. All of these steps I need to take in order to get this career. And right now in your mind, you're, you're taking all the steps in order to get to where you want to go. Like that career that you have in mind, you're checking off those things. And a far more impressive freshman than myself. But the reality is, do you know what Paul would say to you in that moment? He would say that that list is a pile of crap. Why, why does Paul speak so strongly about this? Because Paul wants to just alarm us that your good works, apart from Christ, can't even bring you one step closer to him. Like your morality, your best behavior, can't take you one more step closer to the thing you truly want, which is Christ himself. And if you keep trying to be good enough on your own, you will miss out on Jesus. Which he knows that's what we truly long for. If we try to muster up the strength, we will miss him completely. Because we're just focused on being good enough ourselves. And guys, I've been so incredibly convicted by this passage during this time. I think it has been convicting for me to realize how much I actually valued and felt validated by people's reactions to conversations I had with them, people's pats on the back for things I maybe spoke on or didn't work, just people approving of the things I did. And now that we're stuck in our houses and that's not happening, I, I felt my heart being restless. And I'm just like, man, I can see clearly how that would not provide for me what my heart needs. I need Jesus. And there might be some of you that are also 
seeing that all this time that you're investing in classes, all this time that you're investing in trying to get that perfect job, you're seeing how jobs, we, we can't look to, to be a firm foundation. It can be taken from us like that. And so it's a shaky foundation for us to put our hope in and try to build our name around. And so we see that Jesus is who we need to find our identity from. And so it might be easy for us to see that now, but it's important for us to see that where Paul is speaking from is when he was able to find everything he wanted in this world. He was at the highest height that this world could bring him to. He had the greatest status that this world could offer him and the most power from that. And at that point is when Paul said, it is a pile of crap. Why? Because he found and saw the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, his Lord. And so if that is what we truly want, if Christ is what we are truly longing for, we have to see that in order to come before Christ, our resume, we have to throw it in the trash. Because essentially that's exactly what it is. And we have to come before Christ and accept what he has provided for us and put all of our faith in him. If we look at verse 9, it says, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And so he's saying we have to come in complete faith. And so I want to ask you who's listening, is there any way that you are seeking to validate yourself outside of Christ? Is there any way that you're trying to build up a name for yourself that doesn't involve Christ? Because this, this message is such a freeing message for me to hear because it's exhausting for me to try to build a name for ourselves. And there might be people on this call that like, you realize you're trying to build a name for yourself, but you've fallen flat on your face so many times, or you might be in here and you're like, I'm actually, I feel like I'm doing what I want to do. I'm building the name for myself that I want. And to both sides, we're just saying, just come to Jesus. Accept the identity that he has given you and throw your works to the side because they are not going to bring you one step closer to Jesus. And this is why Paul is so passionate. He wants us to lock into that gospel message to realize that there's only one way to a relationship with God, and that's through Christ Jesus. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that is the message that he's trying to hold to so tightly. And that is what we need to remember, because that gospel message is what draws us to experience Christ to a greater Extent. And so our third point is that we need to look forward. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straying forward to what lies ahead, I press on for the goal of the, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So there's 
a lot of interesting language that he uses in this passage that seems to conflict with what he just said. Because we just heard very clearly that our works won't earn us anything before God. But then we see phrases like, that I may know him, that by any means possible, or that I press on to make it my own. And what Paul is doing in this moment is that he's showing us that the response to being saved by faith alone in Christ alone is not to just cope. He's pushing up against the very common phrase that our culture can have in Christianity to let go and let God. Because what that phrase is saying, the idea behind that is that there's actually nothing I need to do. I just need to let go and let God change my life. But what Paul is saying here is radically different. Paul is saying, you have been brought into a relationship with Christ. Let's get to work. That Christ has saved me and that now I get to experience the power of his resurrection by putting to death things in my life that are not like Christ. Like I get to put to death the lust that's in my heart. I get to put to death the comparison to other people. I get to put to death the anxiety that I feel in my heart because the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave dwells within my heart. So I get to become more like Jesus. And so what does he mean in verse 11 when he says, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul is coloring in the complexity in the Christian life of the already, not yet. So already, we are in Christ. He can't be saying that I'm seeking to obtain a right standing before Christ by my own efforts. Why? Because if we look at the next verse, he says, not that I have already attained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Here's the key line, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So he's saying we are already in Christ. That has already happened. But we have not yet fully experienced the, the full extent of joy in that relationship because of the sin and brokenness that still exists in our hearts. And so what is, what is our response to this? Paul is saying we need to strive for Christ with everything we have. He's saying that one day I will experience this relationship to perfection, but why would I not strive to experience that more and more with everything in me? So imagine, well, I guess we have to imagine that we were even having the Olympics this summer, but imagine we were in the Olympics and you were running the 10,000 meter race which sounds like the worst thing you could do in the Olympics, but imagine that's what you're doing. So you spent your whole life running long distance and you come to the Olympics and it's your time for the race. And the race begins and you get a great start to this thing. And slowly as the race continues, you start to separate yourself from other people more and more, getting more and more of a lead. And as the race continues, fatigue begins to set in. But you, you keep a good pace and you keep a good distance from other people in that race. And then there's a moment where you turn the last corner for the home stretch. And in that moment, you know, you can see the prize and you know you're winning this thing. What do you do in that moment? Are you just gonna jog it in, 
take a nice swift walk, a nice stroll down the rest of those last hundred meters. Like, no, you are going to run with everything you have because you can see the prize. You can, you know, the medal is coming. You know, you're going to wrap that flag around you and walk around that track. You know, you are going to celebrate. So instead you kick it in even more to obtain that prize. What Paul is saying is that Christ has essentially dropped you into that home stretch scenario and you have the prize of Christ already. So why wouldn't we kick it in even more to know Christ with everything that we have now? You see, we are not earning anything as we strive to know Christ more. But since we have already earned salvation, we put in incredible effort to run after him with everything we have, to know him, to cherish him, to build that relationship with him. And so being a Christian is actually a lot of work, but it's all focused on how do I know this great king? How do I grow in this relationship that I've already been given through Christ? And so the call to you is, what does that look like for you this week? And a couple, four questions that I want you to walk through is number one who are you following especially in this season as we're at home who are you looking to to disciple you uh, as verse 17 says brothers join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us who are you looking to pour into your life in this time two what do you need to implement in order to know christ more and that last part of it is so important in order to know Christ more, that is the goal of all of these questions that we just want to know him and cherish him more. So what do you, maybe a daily rhythm or a weekly rhythm that you want to implement to know him more? Third, what do you need to remove from your life in order to know Christ more? You're not just removing something to remove it, but you're removing it because of the greater gain of knowing and cherishing Christ himself. And then lastly, is there anything you need to confess? in order to know and cherish Christ more. Because guys, I'm convicted that us holding things in the dark and not confessing sin is just us focusing on building a, a bigger pile of crap for ourselves. And what this passage is saying is, guys, we need to live in the light because when we live in the light, we get to know and cherish Christ more. And all of these things are not for God's heart to change in its approval of us but it's for our heart to change in its awe of God. We want to be more amazed by who God is. We want to be more in awe. We want to cherish him more. And these, these steps that we are taking to strive to know him more is for that gain, to simply know and cherish Christ more. So I want you to walk through those four questions and think about that this week. And then Paul closes this chapter by reminding us in verse 20 what is coming. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And when we see and realize where we are heading, it will cause us to strive with everything we have to get a glimpse of that now. And so the call is just Christians strive with everything in you to know Christ more. And if you are not following Christ, the call is simply come to Jesus and accept the righteousness that he provides for you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this passage. I thank you how it has been 
such a convicting truth for me. And I pray that it would be a reminder to all of us that the only way to come before you is accepting what Christ did for us. So help us to cherish the gospel, help us to celebrate that and help us to cling to it over any of our works, anything that we bring to the table. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.